Good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. It's good to see your faces. My name is Mo. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at City Light. And uh, if you're new this week, I want to let you know that this is our eighth week in our core team phase. Um, We are gathering on Sunday mornings and scattering throughout the week so that we might plant in the winter uh, City Light Lincoln Church. This fall, we've dug into our core values, and so that's what we've been working through in the Word of God, and and these core values are are essentially family traits, and and they shape how we worship, how we we work, and and how we live as a family. Uh, By God's grace, we're praying that Jesus would make us a gospel-centered church that we can actually invite our friends and our neighbors and um, our city to. And so if you're in the room, I want you to know that um, this is an open place for, for you to be a part of the core team. And so if you're here, we, we consider you to be family. And so welcome. You're a part of that family. You're planting a church right now. You are a church planter. And so we want you to know, hey, let's get in and let's dig in and let's get deep. Um, one of the things that I, I want you to do is uh, if you could take this moment and uh, open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians 1 for our entire time together this morning. And as you do that, I want to let you know what those core values are, what those family traits are, and they're uh, down, up, in, and out. And those are all shorthand for uh, the gospel, which is what saves our soul, a formation, and how the gospel forms our hearts. And then uh, that uh, in is the family of God, and then out is that family on mission. And, and this morning, today, we get to look at the, the, that fourth and final core value and how it's formed in the book of Galatians. Uh, we'll we'll look, for that, look at that fourth one and that in, in out, uh, which is the mission of God. So something I want to let you know, though, before we get started, is that from the beginning, God has been a missional God. What I mean by that is God has intentionally moved toward his people from the beginning. So if you look in the book of Genesis, you'll see that, that God moves toward Abraham and, and says, hey, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to make you a great nation. And when he does that, what he does is something very special. He invites Abraham into the family of God to create a new family, a family of God, and that became the nation of Israel. And so in that promise, when he says, I will make you a great nation, he says one more thing in there. He says, so that, that when you see the word so that, that tells you this is why I'm doing this. He says, so that they could be a blessing to other nations, so that God's people, through them, they could bring God near to other people. And so as we think about that, we have to know that Christianity is not It was not created to be just one big happy family that meet on a Sunday morning, but they were a family that is to be sent out on mission, and and that's been a part of God's plan from the beginning. And so as we look at Paul in this passage, and he shares his story about how God has changed his life, and then his response to be sent out by God, um, I want us to be just very mindful that that was God's intention from the beginning. Uh, This morning, I'd like to answer the question of what makes the good news, the gospel, special? Uh, Is the gospel good news in in and of itself? And And if it is good news, what makes it good news? And so when Paul goes in, he's, he's sending this letter to a group of people in the province of Galatia. Uh, what's happening to them is they, Paul planted the church in Galatia and then shared the gospel with these people. And then they, they saw the gospel to be precious. Like it was a treasure to them. And then there's people that would come in. And they would teach a false gospel. They would teach a gospel that's not true. So, so he's going to not only remind us of what the gospel is, but he's also going to share how the gospel impacted his own life and gripped him so much that he would spend his entire life laboring to tell other people in the world that Jesus loves broken sinners. 
And so let's go ahead and jump in. Let's look at verse 11 through 12. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus. So if if you know the good news, if, if you know the good news of Jesus, I'm willing to bet that somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, etc., told you, right? Like, that's the way that came to you. That's how the gospel came to you. But for Paul, Paul's saying, no, actually, I heard it from the very audible mouth of God. I received it from God himself. Isn't that a crazy thing? For someone to come up and say, hey, I heard from God, like... What he's referring to, though, is an experience that he had on his way to Damascus. And I'll explain the Damascus Road experience in a little bit. But what all he's really saying is that, man, I heard from God, and here's what God said to him. He said, why are you persecuting me? Now, if I hear an audible voice from heaven, and it talks to me, I'm probably going to pay a little bit more attention than just like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, it's going to be a serious thing, and, it, and he does. Like, it revolutionizes his life. It, the good news of God, that, that God came down from heaven to earth and died the death that sinners should deser- deserve. He died for people who rebelled against him. That's the message that he actually heard from God himself. That's the gospel that Paul received. That's the gospel that we preach. That's, that's what we know. That's what the Galatians knew. But in their context, like I said, they were given a different gospel, a different set of news. And, and all of their news and all of our false gospels that we hear are fake. They're superficial. They steal our joy. They enslave us. They're, they are false gospels. They might be news, but I won't say that they're good news. And just like he had to contest the gospel then. There's contests against the gospel today. And I, I want to share a couple of those because I, I want you to know that, that there's a contrast between the true gospel that we affirm as a church and the other messages that we hear and that the world might celebrate. And so here's a few. One of the gospels is, is the gospel of morality. The gospel of morality says, be good for goodness sake. It's almost like this Santa Claus idea where like if you be good, then you'll get good gifts. Or if you be good, Santa Claus will like you. Uh, if you're a good enough person, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then all of a sudden God will love you and accept you. Here's the problem with that. God says that none are righteous, not even one, which, which is essentially saying that not one person is innately good in and of themselves. And so how could we possibly do enough good to appease God? The other one that I see is, is, is the gospel of relativity. What the gospel of relativity says, well, if that's good for you, then it's good for you. And what's good for me is good for me. And, and essentially what, what we're saying is that there's a multitude of ways to get to heaven, and Jesus is just one of them, Right? The problem with that is, again, that Jesus clearly states in John 14, 6, he says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And so if Jesus would say that he is the only way to get there, then how could there be multiple ways? And and then finally, in our world, there are around 12 major religions. If you were to kind of boil them all down to one centralized religion, there's probably about 12 of them. And they all have their own set of rules. They have their own set of regulations, their own philosophies. But most of them are centered around the human performance to appease God. Most of them are centered around you doing good works in order to make God happy or love you. However, there's only one. There's only one faith that says that you are saved by grace through faith, and that's Christianity. 
That's our faith. It's, it's actually the opposite of what our logic would say. We would not invent a faith that doesn't involve us working for our salvation because we like control. We like to have our own glory and have our own accomplishments raised up. But the good news is that Jesus came and died for our sins so that we would gain life. This is offered to us not by our works, but by faith in Jesus' finished work on the, on the cross. This is good news. We have grace for free. Like, isn't that insane, though, that we get God's grace and his love for free? It's not something that we have to offer up our life to him. And not only do we have that, we get to have a relationship with the God who loves us. So the single most logical problem, as we found out, with all other gospels is that they're invented by men. They're taught by men. They're, they're, uh, they're brought out by men. They, they, they're earned by men. But the good news, the gospel, it's not earned, but it's, it's actually revealed. It's received by us. See, like, what Paul wants us to know is we don't need any other news but the good news of the gospel. Because it is the source. Its source is the loving God of the universe. Like, our news doesn't come from a media outlet. It doesn't come from human beings. It comes from our King, Jesus, the God of the universe. And so my first point that I want to deliver to you is our news is good news because, it's, because of its source. It's good news because of its source, and that source is God himself. And as we continue to look through this passage, I want to see what happens to Paul's story when he gets that good news. But let's look at his life beforehand. It's verse 13 to 14. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So, so my second point is our news is good news because it affects our life. Our news is good news because it affects our lives. So when Paul says that he set out to persecute the church, that he set out to destroy God's church, I want to let you know he, he's not exaggerating. Like he, he literally was killing Christians. Like this dude was nuts. Like he would go in. He was so zealous. He'd imprison Christians as he was going along. He'd encourage others to kill Christians as well. And not only that, he just said he was a Jew of all Jews, right? He was, he was of the Jewish faith, which means that he was a part of God's plan for Christianity, but then he started persecuting the church. So when you see that, you have to say, man, like how could God save a guy like that? And then he goes on and shares a story even more, right? He shares a story and says, hey, I was a Pharisee basically. So, so let me explain a Pharisee. A Pharisee was like the legit pastors of their day. Like for the Jewish people, if you were a Pharisee, you were considered to be top notch. And, and so when, when, I, when I mean, what I mean by that is like, some of us might memorize some verses. Like, we might have a few of them maybe memorized. Well, Paul had his entire Bible memorized. Like, the whole thing, like, chapter and verse, Genesis to, the, to Malachi, he had the entire thing memorized, and he was basically a scholar. So, so what I'm getting at is that Paul not only killed the church, but he also was extremely self-righteous. And so, so in that, when it comes to morality... He checked the mark off. Like when I talked about the gospel morality, he, he, he batted close to a thousand in comparison to anybody else. When it came to reading his Bible, he was considered to be a scholar. When it comes to acting upon what he knows to be true in scripture, he outpaced everyone in his class. But what Paul is saying here is that that was his former life. 
That was his previous religious life. And so what he's saying is, my, my former life was full of rules and regulations, but not a relationship with God. His former life was focused on his human performance. He thought he could work his way into heaven, and he thought he could please God by his performance and not his faith in Jesus. So religious activity actually doesn't equate to a life set for God or a life set for eternity. See, like, let me just invite you to pause for a second. Just, just take one second and take an inventory of how God has saved you from your former self. Because some of us in this room, some of us were not rule followers like Paul, right? We weren't rule followers. In, fa- in fact, we set out to break rules that were set for us. So whether that be the party or the sexual prowess or, or any other form of pleasure or drink that we might obtain, that's what we were pursuing. And in the moment, it seemed good to us. It might even look like life, but in Eternally, it's killing us and stealing our joy from us. It was something that made us look alive but feel very dead inside. And then there's some of us on the other side, a lot like Austin, who like we're valedictorian at our schools. We're speaking at our college uh, events. We're following all the rules, not breaking them to the best of our ability. We're trying to appease our families. We're, we're trying to make sure parents don't see us as being something that we're not. And, and basically what we're doing, we're trying to work for other people's approval. And what that does, it enslaves us. It makes us feel like we need one more Bible study just to get closer to God. It makes us feel like we have to do one more religious activity. And it just leaves us broken and exhausted at the end of the day. And yet the gospel says that if you're that rebellious person, God covers that. If you're that person that thinks that you need to work for, to appease God or to gain God's love, well, guess what? Jesus accomplished that as well. And so you have this freedom to say, hey, I can just sit back and chill because the perfect life that I think I need to live, Jesus lived for me. And so we can only have to look to him instead. And so Jesus changed you. He changes me. And he changed Paul in the same way. And so, so the mission of God is so pointed in this reality, is it not? Because what it says is that basically before we go out and tell others about Jesus first, first we must receive him anyway. First, before we share the gospel, we need to receive the gospel. Before we go out, it must come in. Before we proclaim the grace of God, we must be transformed by that grace. Unless Jesus is personal to you, you'll never actually share it with joy and passion. Until you're convinced that the thing that has changed you and that, that the thing is the gospel, it'll, never, it'll just be a nice story that you tell people. Amen? So I want to tell you a little bit about me prior to my former life, just a little bit more. So I remember distinctly when I would say, okay, I understand that this life is temporary and there's a heaven and, and that I, I want to get to God. And so, so when I would come down to a circumstance that I knew I wasn't supposed to be in, I would say, okay, God, listen up. If you get me out of this deal, I promise I won't do it again. Anybody, tell, anybody have that story before? You heard that story? Is that your story? Or, or I remember also saying, okay, God, just let me have what I want right now, the pleasure, the party, the fun right now. And then later on when I'm older, I'll give my life over to you then. Or, or I, I remember one more where I would say, okay, God, wait till I get the house, the job, I graduate from college, I get the wife, I get the car, I get the kids, then I'll clean my life up and, and come to you. Like, is that a lot of our stories? That was my story. And, and honestly, I discovered that if I wait, 
in my life for me to be perfect before I actually trust Jesus for salvation, I'll actually never get there. Because there's always one more thing to get, one more thing to gain. And so before I received the gospel, I was seeking my own pleasures, my own kingdom. And honestly, it was exhausting. It, I, I, made, I tried to make other people happy so that I might gain my own happiness. I was trying to put a show on for other people that I was this good person while at the same time doing things that I knew were not right. So when I received the gospel, it meant a lot. It, it, it meant something very personal to me because all of a sudden the pleasures that I sought in the world I found in heaven. The kingdom that I tried to build for myself came crashing down and God gave me a greater kingdom to belong to. Jesus became a greater desire to me than the things that I had desired. I'm not saying that I'm batting a thousand or that I'm a perfect person by any stretch of that word. But what I am saying is that when you encounter the gospel, it changes you. It makes you different. The gospel is what transforms and informs our life. We need to be saved by it, but we also need to be sustained by it. And that's the good news. It's good news because it has, to, it has an impact on our life. Like, that's why we can say it is good news. So, like my, I said, my second point is our news is good news because of its effect on our life. And now look at Paul and his response afterwards in verse 15. It says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. And so my my third point is our our news is good news because it gives us purpose. Our news is good news because it gives us purpose. In verse 16, Paul says that the good news of the gospel was revealed to him by God's good pleasure in order that he might preach him, preach Jesus. In other words, the good news and its power to save also gives purpose. Listen to me. Once you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, my hope is that you We'll, we'll start to see something. You'll start to see that you are uniquely wired by God, uniquely made by God, uniquely gifted by God. You've been given certain hobbies and, and a certain neighborhood to live in, certain habits that you've gotten into, and certain job responsibilities that you've been given. And the reason why you've been given those things is for a much greater purpose than to just sit at your job or sit at your house, but it's to reflect the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and the power that has changed your life. So, so when we think about that, God, God doesn't want you to just be happy with heaven, but he wants you to bring heaven here. He doesn't want you to just be happy with heaven. He wants you to bring it here and not be bored. Like, seriously, like if, if going to heaven was the only goal and we just kind of get our get-out-of-hell-free card and we get to sit on our tails for the rest of our life, that is a boring, joyless life. So this is how it plays out in my life. When I start to see those realities... Uh, I've been blessed with a desire for basketball. I love basketball. I've always loved basketball. Even when I became a Christian, I was still like, yep, I love basketball. That doesn't change. And I've been honored by God that he would give me a son who also loves basketball. And so since he was, been, since he was seven years old, I've coached him and organized basketball. It's been such a pleasure for him to be, and I to be able to run together and, and be able to uh, experience that same thing that we love together. In that, though... It's been an awesome gospel opportunity as well. It's been a mission for us because I've been able to, not always perfectly, 
be a good example of what it looks like to compete in, in line of God's grace in my life. And also, I mean, I've been able to confess when I was wrong. Like, I've been able to live out those rhythms that we've been talking about time and time again, where you confess your sin to one another and you experience the grace and mercy from others. Because honestly, I haven't batted a thousand as a coach, but my son gets to experience what it looks like to walk with Jesus in competition. And then even further, it's been a discipleship rhythm for us as well, where I get to talk to him about how not only can he play basketball, but also how Jesus wants to love him in basketball, but in every other aspect of life. And then God is giving me the honor of taking it even further where I get an, to have an influence on kids and their parents as well. So I've gotten personal phone calls, text messages, and emails from former players or players at the time that I was coaching them saying, hey, coach, I know that you love Jesus, so can you help me with this situation? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I've had, I've, I literally, I've had parents call me and say, hey, I know you're the Jesus guy and I'm not really into religion, but can you help me with my marriage? Can you help my wife and I? Because we, we don't get along and I don't know why. So God wants to use these habits, these, these, these hobbies, the things that he's placed you in to show people the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's, he's purposed these opportunities for you to build relationships with parents and with kids and the people around you so that they might see King Jesus. See, church, isn't that good news, though? Like, isn't that good news for us that God would invite us into that, that, that Jesus wants to use you, people like us, ordinary people in an ordinary life, to share the extraordinary good news with other people? So again, that third point is our news is good news because it gives us purpose. It gives us a mission. See, like, I believe God does call us to bring that good news to people closest to us. I think Pastor Austin, like, did a wonderful job when he preached out before talking about how, like, he, when God wants to save a people, he saves a person. And, and, and so that's how, if you're a college student, you can say, yeah, my mission is my dorm mate or my classmate in my same major. Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, you can say, yeah, my mission is my kids because they're in close proximity to me and my neighbors who are also moms. Or if you're a person who works for a company, well, then it's probably your coworker who sits in the cubicle next to you or the lady or guy who is at the lunch table every single week sitting by themselves lonely like Jesus wants you to share him with them. They desperately need to hear that good news. Now, I want to draw your attention to something, though, that I didn't emphasize before. When we look at Paul's conversion, when we see his response to preach, where does God call him? It says, it says, who called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, to explain Gentile and Jew relationships would take a while. But let's just say they weren't nice, nice together. And I think that if we, in particular, want to save a particular uh, group of people, we generally speaking don't want to pick people that are at odds with one another, right? Like, so for instance, say, say we want to reach a ba- the, the culture of basketball. So people who play basketball, you want to reach those kinds of people? Well, who do you pick? Who, who would you love for God to save so that he might reach the basketball players? Well, you'd probably pick like the best and brightest. You'd pick Michael Jordan or LeBron James with an asterisk um, or, or somebody like that, right? Like the best of the best is who you would pick up because they've climbed the ladder, they've gained the respect, they have the accolades, and so they're going to have the influence. 
But we as Christians, we love that, right? We love that idea. We, we build that up. If you think about like the, the Tim Tebow's or the Rex Burkhead's, we want them to know Jesus and use their influence to do that, which is all good and God honoring. But God doesn't always work that way. So when we see Paul, for instance, we see Paul, he's basically the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan of the Jewish faith. Like, he's one of the most influential, well-known Jews all around. He's one of the most gifted. Because remember, he said he was advancing above those his age. Yet God sent him to Gentiles. People that he grew up to not like. And, and I would even say a further hate. And that's where God sent him. I believe the reason why God would do that is, is, is a multitude of reasons. But I think there's one that I, that I believe God wants to teach us about. And is that Christianity was largely a faith for the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Disciples were Jews. Why wouldn't he send someone else? Well, I think the, the, the reason why he wouldn't send someone else is because he wants us to understand that the gospel is not just for the people around you, but the people who don't look like you, walk like you, talk like you, believe like you, vote like you. I want to challenge you to think and give yourself over to the idea that the gospel is for everybody. The reason I say that is because our tendency in the everyday life is, is the fact that we have people that are a little bit more uncomfortable to approach than others. Am I right? Like in our day-to-day lives, there are people, again, who don't look like us or they don't think like us. So they're a little strange. And so it's harder to approach them. Our insecurities or inadequacies, those kind of things, the discomforts of our life get in the way of us saying, hey, I want to share the best news I've ever heard in my life with you. So um, Colleen and I got married about seven, or a little over seven years ago, and I want to share my engagement story with you. So I was a little positive about this, okay? I was a little, a little forward on it. So what I did is I went and bought the ring, and then I talked to the parents, and then I really got positive about this, thinking that I was going to win. I booked the pastor I booked the church, I booked the reception hall, like I booked it all up before asking, which is dangerous, okay? So then I planned the date, we went to Omaha to a restaurant that exists here, so she was like, what was that all about? Anyway, so we went on a date in Omaha because I wanted to walk her around the lake that's downtown over there and propose at the lake, so that was kind of my strategy. And so I said, okay, I'm going to find a park bench, we're going to sit down and I'm going to propose. And then I froze, And not only did I freeze, she froze her tail off because it was cold outside. And in my freezing, we spent an hour walking around this lake because I was too scared to ask her anything. I was like, I don't know if I can invite her into this anymore. And so I'm freaking out, going, getting completely out of my mind. And then finally we get to the last bench and we sit, I was like, all right, it's do or die now. We got to sit down and do this. So I sit her down and I'm like, all right. So I invite her to be a part of my family, to to be in my life for the rest of my life. And she says yes to it. She says, yes, that is good news to me. I want to be a part of that. She says yes. And then there's this weird, strange lady who's walking by her. And here's what my wife does. She's so compelled, so excited about that good news that she grabs that lady and says, I just got engaged. We're getting married. And I'm telling you, my wife does not approach strangers very easily. But the news was so compelling that she went out of her way to let a stranger know that she was getting married. 
City Light, we have the best news of all time, the very power of God unto salvation. We don't have to fear anything. Paul even says he didn't ask permission. He didn't need to be trained. The news was just compelling enough because God is enough. It's God's news and not our news. And so it compelled him to share it with other people who didn't look like him, walk like him, talk like him, vote like him, believe like him. And I think he's inviting us as a church to do the same thing. Like we are unashamedly a church that will reach college students. We will invest and over-invest in City Light U because there are 30,000 college students that need to hear about Jesus. And so we're not going to apologize. that That's our mission. We're going to have city groups all over the city celebrating the grace and the love of Jesus, reaching people with that gospel. We will be families on mission throughout our city. We will scatter throughout. We're going to invite people into this home. We're going to invite people to come and hear the gospel week in and week out as we gather. And say, like, we're going we're to send you out to live on mission as well in the places that you live, work, and play. And then finally, we're going to be a church that plants other churches so that others might hear this good news as well. The good news that we have is God's news, and it is just that. It's good news. Let's pray.